The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. If it seems like Western governments are determined to hand sovereignty away to supranational organizations, it becomes important to ask both why such things happen and more importantly, why the public not asked. On this special edition of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network, we'll be examining both of these conundrums and a whole lot more. We'll also be joined later in the show by a very special guest, Rosemary Gibson, to discuss why America no longer makes its own medicines and the dangers this brings. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American constitution. Continuing our theme of globalism taking prominence on the world stage, we're going to delve into why Western governments seem almost addicted to the idea of sharing national sovereignty. And to help us, we're joined by Liberty Nation author, Mr. Joe Schaefer. Welcome back to the show, Joe. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, give us a, a brief history of how you see globalism entrenched itself in uh, American politics, if in fact that's your view. Well, we, we can really talk about Western politics. Yes. Uh, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about how unpopular pop politicians keep winning, uh, mm. have the highest seats of office in countries throughout the West. You have it in England now with this new prime minister. You have it in France with Macron. You have it in Canada with Trudeau. And of course, you have it in America with Joe Biden. Even the establishment big box press in these nations admit that these politicians are not popular. And yet there they are right there in, in the top of the office. So something's going on. It's not just America. It's throughout the West. And, and there is an answer for it. Um, I can continue or you can ask me another question. <laughs> you give us the answer, Joe. What do you, how do you see it? Why did this happen? Well, I thought the comedian George Carlin has a clip that goes viral on YouTube every now and then. I thought it captures it perfectly. He said, it doesn't have to be a formal conspiracy among the elites. These people know what's in their interest and they, have, they are all working together. They, they have the same educational background. They live in the same type of neighborhoods. You don't have to tell these people what to do. They already know what to do. So there's no formal conspiracy. It's a group of like-minded people who know what they have to do to get what they want. I think the best description for what's going on in the West today is oligarchy. It's not fascism. It's not communism. Fascism is a highly nationalist movement. What we are seeing is an anti-nationalist movement throughout these countries. Nation states should be obliterated. We should have a rules-based international order. That is not fascism. These people are not communist. Communism is about the distribution of wealth. While they talk a good game about that, we all know the elites are not giving up their own personal wealth. Anytime. They don't seem to be struggling financially, do they, Joe? No, they are not communist in any ideological sense of the word. And so to back up what Carlin said, I'm going to have to reach out here. There's a quote that I want to make, but... Glenn Hutchins is one of the top Democrat donors in the country. He's a private equity gazillionaire. He's loaded, heavy, heavy contributor to Democrats. And he said, this is about a 10-year-old quote. I've used it several times. 
a person in Africa who runs in a big, who runs a big African bank and went to Harvard might have more in common with me than he does with his neighbors. And I could well share more overlapping concerns and experiences with him than with my neighbors. And I think that says it all. It says exactly what Carlin was saying in his comment. These people know that they work in the same circles. They don't have anything in common with you and me. The guy can live across the world and he's his neighbor to a guy like Glenn Hutchins. Got people living a mile down the road, mean nothing to him. So that's what's going on in the world today. And, and oligarchy is the correct term for it, I believe. You know, there's, I have a couple of uh, books that I'm very proud of owning. Uh, one is by Bertrand Russell. The other is by H.G. Wells. And they were both written more than 100 years ago. And they discussed how uh, a global leadership is the only true intellectual way forward. And the ideas they talk about in those books, you, you could well imagine them being espoused by Justin Trudeau today or Emmanuel Macron, as you said. And even if he could get the words out, President Joe Biden saying those exact same things, that, that the story really hasn't changed. So, Joe, is there a difference between, in your opinion, between internationalism and globalism? Well, I think it's a new manifestation of internationalism. The communist ideal of 100 years ago mm. has come and gone. Uh, I, I, I would say, you know, China is really not communist in the strict sense of the term. Communist I with Chinese China, characteristics, as yeah, they call exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, um, they put China first in a way that is not the communist international, let's put it that way. Yeah. I think globalism is just a new manifestation of communism. I think a, an excellent word that people should become more familiar with is modernism. Quoted mm. H.G. Wells, he was one of the leading proponents of modernism back in his day in the early 20th century. And it, is, it has its roots in the Enlightenment. It is a belief you don't have to be religious to acknowledge how dangerous this is. This is a belief that man can perfect himself here on earth and that there are, this is the very popular intellectualist uh, backgrounds. They are the chosen ones. They are the anointed ones who are going to lead us all forward. And of course, the privileges stay with them and we all get to be the worker bees. It's, it's really almost like bringing back the days of Pharaoh. And I wrote this article that just came out on the site about this food processing sanitation company hires illegal immigration, illegal aliens have been known for doing that. They've just been, the labor department has, has charged, has accused them of hiring 31 children to work in this highly dangerous job where they're exposed to caustic chemicals that have been burned. We're really seeing a return back to the sweatshop days. Of the it's, it's Victorian. Day. It's practically Victorian, Joe. Uh, Joe, it really is. You, you've kind of answered this question already uh, in terms of why would our Western leaders be so keen to, to push national sovereignty into a collectivist pool? Because uh, as you pointed out, they have more in common with somebody who has that mindset already. But surely this kind of thing would only be acceptable to the public who in whether it's uh, a representative democracy, a democracy as Democrats like to call uh, America rather than a republic, um, but surely the voters should be given the ultimate say on whether they want to pull sovereignty, shouldn't they? Well, it depends on what you mean. We are a constitutional republic. Do, do the American people have a right to 
resign from that and accept totalitarianism? I mean, I guess so, theoretically. It's not how this country was designed. It would not be the United States of America. But you bring up an interesting point as to how these people get in office. We can talk about electoral integrity. I think that has a lot to do with it. But we also have to say there are a significant amount of people supporting this. Mm. And that brings up another quote, since we're making all these quotes. Upton Sinclair, who I did some research on for yep, the jungle, article, yep. the jungle, he said, I'm going to have to reach out because I don't remember these things. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding. So you have this, this kind of substrata below the elites. They're not in the elite club. They're not bad people, but the system's working for them. They're doing well. And, you know, at some point, some of these people are going to have to look at in the mirror and say, am I cooperating with evil? And I'll give you an example. Principal of a, a school that is that he knows that uh, the, the teachers, the school board, et cetera, are foisting this child transgender thing down school children's throats. Parents are irate and furious. Well, he has a comfortable job. He's making a nice living. He's probably not even a bad person. But at what point? Does it become intolerable for him where he has to take a stand at the risk of losing his job? And I'm not saying everybody who works for like multinational corporations that are doing bad things in the world is a bad person, but everybody has to ask the question, how far along can I participate in this? And I really don't think anything's going to change until you get to that count of, of a certain number of people who say, I am not going to participate in this anymore. For participation, though, it helps the people know what's actually happening. And I think you've just given a, a rather wonderful example of compartmentalization. People only know what they need to know to either not get fired or to go one pay grade above where they are. Now, we're uh, talking with author Joe Schaefer on Western governments enthrall to the globalist networks. When we come back, we'll be continuing the conversation and ask which way America first. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. And we're talking globalism with LN author Joe Schaefer. Earlier we discussed why Western nations seem so keen to throw in their lot with supranational organizations. But now I want to talk specifically about America uh, and why a country that used to pride itself on exceptionalism and individuality is now going the same way as everyone else. Joe, your thoughts, please. Well, I think we all know there's something deeply, deeply wrong in America today. It's not being addressed. It's intentionally not being addressed. And as, as we talked about in the earlier segment, an, un, uh, an, unpop, an immensely unpopular politician is sitting in the White House. And instead of getting the historical rebuke traditional to presidents who are in office through the midterm elections, we are led to believe that this immensely unpopular president was almost reaffirmed in everything he's doing. That doesn't make any sense at all. So something's going on, something strange is going on. And I just think there is, I mean, people are, are more into politics than ever, but there's also a sense of inertia. There's a sense that we can't do anything about it. And I think it's because not enough people are fully committed to the real change necessary to save this country. Saving this country is what it's about. I think things have to get worse um, for, for the real change. I thought it, 
people, the American people in 2016 said enough. We're not going to have this anymore. No more endless wars. We want individuals, liberty and freedom. But here we are six years later and all those things are worse than ever. And I think the worst things get actually will bring back a second wave of the America First movement. It's just unfortunate that things have to get so bad before that movement can coalesce once again. I want to dive a bit deeper into a couple of things you said there, Joe. The, the first point that struck out to me was that you said uh, in 2016, people voted against endless wars. And it, it, it kind of seems that although America is not officially in a war, they, they've ramped it up to wartime spending because of the billions of dollars going to Ukraine. So they have uh, the present government seems to have the advantages of being a nation at war in terms of we can blame a, a poor economy on the war. We can funnel cash out, which I, I guess is some way of resettling an economy that's uh, fighting inflation. But at the same time, they're not losing American lives. Let's be fair. Didn't everybody suspect that one way or the other, America would be on a wartime footing when Joe Biden got into office? I think if they were paying any attention whatsoever, they should have known that. Um, again, they were distracted with this idea that Republicans are the enemy of democracy. And I, I, you know, I don't even know how convincing that is. But you, you, Sorry, is Joe, just to interrupt on that, the idea that uh, Republicans are the enemy of democracy, and if you vote them in, Wow, that's an end of democracy. I mean, you, the, the, yeah. whole, the whole premise actually it's doesn't still, make any sense, right? If you vote them still, in, democracy's at an end. It's, I almost feel like that. that's like a, a, a pep rally for a football team. This is how they psych up their voters, <laughs> you know? They know it doesn't make sense, but they're just getting them all worked up. There's a lot of speculation about, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned at the perfect time Perfect timing for Democrats. Uh, I'm pro-life. I'm ecstatic that Roe v. Wade got overturned. I was waiting 50 years for this moment to happen. And it just happened to happen at the perfect moment for a deeply unpopular government to use to stay in power. They, they use our, divide, our, our divisions, the divisiveness, the tensions in this country. They use it to maintain their power. But um, a point I wanted to make is that the endless wars things you point out there there is apparently some speculation that that money going to ukraine is coming back to the the, the people who are funding it there this with this um uh what's his name the uh, well joe i i, I should actually just explain that to our, our listeners and yeah. you're absolutely right so what happens is uh when we say for example a billion dollars goes from the u.s uh pocket to uh, to Ukraine, for example, well, you know, let's not get into whether they, you know, they need it or, or which I'm, I'm sure they probably do. But what happens is that billion dollars is not literally, it's not the, the Obama style pallets of cash. It's here's a billion dollar credit that you can use to purchase arms from American manufacturers. And I believe there's a, a term for that, Joe, something to do like the military industrial Complex, I believe. Complex, it sounds like it, yeah. Who donate heavily to the people who fund them. But yeah. Again, this is something that the American people have to research. It's not just Democrats, by the way. It's some of the, the, yes, of the most hawkish Republicans are loaded with these, peop with, with these military industrial complex donors 
Mm. And I just like, how, how long have they, how can, how long are the American people going to put up with that? I mean, they are buying our politicians, literally, they're getting paid back more in return. And this is just going to keep going on and on and on. It's another word besides the oligarchy is kleptocracy. Mm. It's a finance-based theft on a, on a scale that I don't think the American people truly understand. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to jump into, Joe, on what you said earlier was about how our society uh, almost doesn't seem engaged enough to realize that, that they're losing national sovereignty. And I'm reminded of, uh, now it's a movie I, I caught uh, not long ago called Greenland. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an apocalypse style movie. There's a comet coming and all this. But in that movie, uh, the main character, he's looking for a phone signal. He finds a group of uh, young millennial types uh, and they're on a rooftop partying as the meteor storm comes in, enjoying themselves. And it seems as though there's a certain nihilism about the future of America amongst some people in society. And I'm not talking a small group, but it's almost as though, I don't want to say that they, they hate America, but they hate the idea that America is a nation above others, even though by every important metric it is. Your thoughts? My thoughts are America, Americanism, which is not the same as the Founding Fathers, Spirit of 76, sure. is a plague on the world. We're a cancer on the world. We don't have to spread the idea of what it is to be America all over the world. It's been a disaster in the, in, in the third world in particular, where we are, are, are lending our highly consumerist lifestyle on countries uh, like Vietnam, Indonesia. When these people... They, they don't even have the basic infrastructure to handle it. The massive pollution that you see, you see these videos of just rivers and lakes loaded with plastic. That is a third world nation embracing America style consumerism without having even a fraction of the infrastructure to handle it. So what you know, you're saying I, is get back to America first. Well, yeah, it, it's like, stop pestering the whole world. Let's get back to what makes us great, which is not just consumerism, by the way, but manufacturing, building something, sense of community, sense of sense of shared values. The, the people in, char in charge of it, the, the elites or whatever you want to call them, they do not want us to have shared values. That's the important thing. We need to decide on what are our core values as a country, and then we need to stand by them. Money, to me, is the number one weapon that they use to break that up. And again, the Upton Security if it's not in your financial interest to see a problem, you're not going to see a problem. I think they use that to a very, very strong effect. Joe Schaefer, thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you. And coming up after this short break, we're coming back with author Rosemary Gibson discussing why China now has a monopoly on producing American drugs. It's going to be quite the show. Don't go anywhere. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Is American medicine secure? Can the people of the United States rely on a ready supply of healing drugs in an ever-globalizing world? 
Well, these are just some of the questions that we're looking at today. Rosemary Gibson is a senior advisor at the Hastings Center and author of a number of books focusing on healthcare, treatment, and often how these intersect with politics. Her latest book, China Rx, Exposing the Risks of America's Dependence on China for Medicine, discusses the offshoring of medicine manufacturing to places, of all places, like China. And she joins us here today. Thank you ever so much for joining us, Rosemary. It's great to be with you, Mark. Thank you. So, Rosemary, could you give our listeners a brief rundown uh, of the key issues of having the medicines and in fact the ingredients of the medicines manufactured overseas and perhaps more importantly tell us why we aren't making this a priority for in-house operations well mark the situation is that the united states can no longer make penicillin anymore we can't make even aspirin We can't make vitamin C and thousands of other basic medicines and over-the-counter products that Americans use every day. And the imports of these are largely coming from China. It's it's really quite shocking. And this poses two challenges. Uh, During uh, the height of hospitalizations, when there was a virus circulating around the world, we depended and the world depended on a single country, China for the components and thousands of medicines, including those needed to care for people in intensive care units and emergency rooms. And Mark, these are the generic drugs. We're not talking about the branded drugs. We're talking about the generics that are mostly um, what people are given. And the second concern with it is not just, do we have enough to go around if all the world is depending on a single country? The second very serious concern is what's the quality and safety of these generics? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think people really think about the the quality of the drugs after it's had an FDA approval, for example. Uh, that people don't really consider what's the 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 quality of what they're getting delivered uh, to them, and especially if that comes from overseas. There's so many manufacturing processes that are different that can impact things because uh, medicine specifically have, I, I believe they have a, a more rigorous uh, process to go through in terms of the manufacturer, manufacturing than, than foods. And I think many people would be surprised about just how dependent the U.S. has become on overseas cooperation. And I get that that's, that's very much part uh, and parcel for those who favor a more globalist approach to everything. Uh, they, they want to either succeed, succeed or fail together. But the voting public at large, they don't really tend to be aware of how risky a strategy this is. So when did America stop going it alone and why? Well, it started in the 1990s and it really accelerated in after the United States approved the U.S.-China free trade deal, which treated China in the most favored nation status, which removed tariffs on products coming in from China. And that's, Mark, Mark, when I was writing China Rx, that's when I noticed within two or three years of that, that's when the last penicillin in the United States plant closed, the last aspirin plant, the last vitamin C plant. We saw this landslide take place. And what was especially shocking is that at that time, China had no no Western standards for its regulatory system and manufacturing processes for these products. It was remarkable, and that's on us, on U.S. companies that offshored and bought product from uh, Chinese firms. 
You'll, if you read China Rx, it begins with a story of a Johns Hopkins trained physician who walked into a very prominent hospital in Arizona, an emergency room, very healthy guy, except he had a stomach ulcer. And within 24 hours, he was in multiple organ failure. His body just shut down. His heart had to be removed. And it was traced back to contaminated heparin, a blood thinner that's widely used in hospitals. And the FDA traced it back to a company in China that had put in a fake substitute that was lethal at certain levels. I, I have uh, a lot of experience in China and have, uh, on a personal note, I've, I've undergone surgery. The, I was, I, there was appendicitis and uh, I, I was wheeled into an operating theater where there were two doctors smoking in the doorway and a nurse had brought in her child uh, to come and see the foreigner. And so when you say that, that they have different standards and are willing to substitute things, I, I, I can fully believe that, that they're not looking out for, we, we need to make this the best possible product when you have doctors smoking in operating rooms. That obviously doesn't happen in the big cities, I, I, I presume, but uh, across the country where the manufacturing base is, that the standards are not adhered to for that. Now, I, I read an article that you wrote last year, Rosemary, uh, about China and India. And one line in that really stood out to me. And you wrote that uh, a country that controls the world's medicines controls the world. That, that really struck out to me. And it's so true. And it's, it's such a perfect encapsulation of what happened. It seems that you were getting at the idea that there's a, sort of a, there's a potential for hybrid warfare to take place over who controls the world's medicinal supplies. Now, do you think that the U.S. is even engaged in this proxy war, um, or if, even if the administration, do they even know it's happening? Well, first, you're right, Mark. Um, some of your viewers and listeners may remember that in March 2020, when the virus was circulating here and many people were being hospitalized, uh, China came out with a statement saying that it may withhold antibiotics from the United States. Yeah. They, now, if that's, not, if that's not a shot across the bow, I don't know what is. Yeah. And there, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Please carry on. Carry on. No, no. And to your point, you know, where, where are we? There have been bills introduced in Congress to bring back antibiotic manufacturing, but they've gone nowhere. Why, why do you think that is? Why do I think it is? Hmm. Because I'll tell you a quick story. So I used to use an IBM ThinkPad, and I'm sure some of your viewers and listeners have done that. Then over the end, it was a great machine. And then you began to see it's Lenovo ThinkPad. What's that all about? So I asked someone from IBM, what's going on here? And he said, well, what we did was we gave away the uh, specifications for our laptops, it was old technology, to China in return for access to it, its market for higher value, higher profitable products. And that's exactly what's happened mm -hmm. with our generic drugs. U.S. and other Western companies have given away their specifications, their recipe book for making these products in return for access to the very lucrative market for branded products that they want to sell and are selling there. And as, as you heard from Attorney General Bill Barr two years ago or a year and a half ago, many U.S. businesses are compelled, if they're doing business in China, to lobby on behalf of China in the United States. I think that's what we're seeing here. I, I think you might be right. Obviously, medic, um, 
medicine, Medicare, this is in the news all pretty much constantly and has been for, for many years. Um, and you have now uh, Democrats are, are saying that Medicare is under threat, but they're not saying that the threat is because we won't be able to provide aspirin or paracetamol or antibiotics to people. Uh, they're not saying that. So are they aware of the problem and they just don't know specifically how to deal with it without go- going full Trumpian and saying, we've got to shut down, the, the, we've got to start the China trade war again? <laughs> or uh, are they hoping that it's more just a political message as in, we care about Medicare and we care about Medicaid. What are your thoughts? Well, I've testified before Congress twice and another hearing on Capitol Hill. And this is well known about our dependence on China. You have to keep the, keep the message getting out there. But I think what's happening, Mark, is that special interests that like the current system that benefit from it, Think about it. You can buy super cheap subsidized generic products from China and sell them at a higher margin here in the U.S. And so they have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. And it's really quite remarkable, actually, to see how much opposition there was to domestic manufacturing of basic medicines that a country needs to survive. And by the way, this is happening not just here. It's also happening in Europe and elsewhere. So it's really hard to get domestic manufacturing back up and running uh, because of the special interests. But I think what's turning the corner is very serious problems that are emerging about the quality of our generic drugs. It's just shocking. And um, the FDA is just not in a position to be able to fix that for a variety of reasons. We're speaking with author Rosemary Gibson discussing the inherent risks of having foreign nations responsible for producing drugs, vitamins and medicines for the United States and why the government seems not keen on finding a solution to this very unbalanced matter. We'll be back to Rosemary after this short break. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. So we're getting uh, poor quality drugs coming in and there, there's no real way to test them other than uh, at the point of manufacturing, right? So that would involve, for example, the FDA having to go to odd factories all around China to check that these things are across the board being manufactured to the right level because obviously they could do uh, a sample, a random sampling of the things, but that's already in the country and that's already being distributed. Is that how, is that one of the main issues? Yeah, yeah you're right that uh, one of the FDA's functions, you know, to protect the public and to maintain the gold standard that we had for years is to uh, inspect on-site inspections of manufacturing plants all over the world. And there are very clear standards on how these products should be made because life and death. Um, if it is much significant deviation, it could cause harm to people. But regrettably, the FDA has had a very difficult time uh, getting to China and doing these inspections. And I think it's fair to say that there's, well, it's true that the FDA now is doing inspections by Zoom of manufacturing plants in China and perhaps other countries. And I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal article recently 
It was about how U.S. State Department uh, diplomats have been treated so poorly in China. They've been uh, had to take a COVID mm-hmm. test, and they've been quarantined and just frankly been abused. So think of the FDA federal employee. These are voluntary uh, roles. Do you want to travel to China under such circumstances to inspect a manufacturing plant and if you find problems? Do you really want to be the one that does that? Well, and also be the one that actually says it and then try to get out of the country. Obviously, with the, um, with the China's zero COVID strategy, it, it managed to lock down the entire country for a period of time. Uh, so during that period, of, uh, this is, I presume, when uh, much of the, the Zoom verification of manufacturing facilities went ahead. There was no way that they could test whether this... Uh, this one particular ingredient going into this generic brand product. And of course there are many ingredients within a product was of, of sufficient standard, sufficient quality, or even if it was the real thing, right? Correct. Yeah. Manufacturers are responsible for doing their own testing, but uh, it's all a matter of trust. And I think that trust has really been breached. Now the FDA does do, a very small number of tests in specific circumstances, like there was a blood pressure medicine that had huge amounts of carcinogens. And this car- particular carcinogen could actually change your gene- genetic makeup, could cause mutation of your genes. And the company that was the biggest offender was a plant in China, and the amount of carcinogen was 200 times the acceptable limit per pill. And the FDA didn't find this out until four years later. Somebody else discovered it, and then the FDA went over to the plant. And they found that this company employees, the company's employees knew exactly that there were problems, but they never went back and fixed it and knowingly sold defective products to the United States and to other countries. It even went to our uh, members of the military and veterans. So uh, now it is possible uh, that there have some that have been trying to do testing of generic drugs, but it's a challenge because there's a lot of companies that won't like that. A lot of special interests will not like to have their products tested if they're not working. But I think there's enough concern among hospitals about shortages and other things that it's getting quite serious. Um, and perhaps we could see some movement uh, on that front. Well, that, that's, uh, yeah. Sorry, that, that is what I'd like to ask. What can America do to fix this issue to, or, not even so much to to make people aware of the issue because being aware of something, but then still having that as your only supplier is, is, is largely irrelevant to the, to the end consumer. But what can America do to, to regain uh, independence in this area? Uh, assuming the, the nation's leadership even wants to. Well, I think we're not going to see much uh, action at the federal level where we see action Mark is by uh, big, large health systems and hospitals that set up a nonprofit called Civica RX. And they were set up about four years ago because so many hospitals were facing drug shortages. And so they chipped in some capital to start up this nonprofit. And they, um, to date, they have contracted with trustworthy manufacturers and trustworthy companies. And they've um, made available 70 different generic products to their member hospitals. There's about 1,400 hospitals, which is a third of the licensed beds in the U.S. Because if, if you don't have these products, you can't function as, as, as a healthcare system. And that's what they were facing. 
And these products are, um, are tested. The nonprofit group, they go in and they actually inspect the facility before contracting with them. They know that who are the people making their products. So they've effectively created a new, much more reliable supply chain. And none of those hospitals had shortages of the COVID-related drugs that the nonprofit was uh, supplying during that period. So we're seeing some really a tremendous uh, innovation. And what it requires, Mark, is institutional buyers using their purchasing power differently to buy a better product. One that is, you're sure you're going to be able to get it when you need it, and that it's safe and effective. So that private sector momentum, and we're traveling that some of these products just are not working. Um, that's a game changer. And this, this puts hospitals at risk. I mean, the cat's out of the bag that the FDA can't protect the public as it used to. Well, it, so it's, that, yeah. yeah, it's a liability issue for them. It, it's more than just the hospitals, of course, because generic drugs uh, are sold at pharmacies and stores all across the nation, even supermarkets. And if they're not safe, well, it, it, you're playing Russian roulette with, with health, really. R- Rosemary, could you yeah. tell uh, our audience wh- where people can uh, follow you and, and keep up with your work? Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rosemary100, and China RX is available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And uh, we hope that your viewers and listeners will uh, get it and share it with colleagues and friends, members of Congress, uh, elected, other elected officials, and doctors and nurses, because this is the way we bring about change. There has been a lot of change since China RX came out because of this awareness, Mark, and we need more of it. And together, uh, we can do this. We can begin to make a difference, bring some of that manufacturing home and have better quality products. Rosemary Gibson, thank you ever so much for joining us. Mark, thank you for having me. And that's about all we have time for on this week's edition of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I want to thank our guests, Joe Schaefer, and author of China Rx, Exposing the Risks of America's Dependence on China for Medicine, Rosemary Gibson, for taking the time to come in and join us today. And of course, my thanks go out to you, the constant listener, for making this all worthwhile. My parting shot for this week, the physicist and author and peace campaigner, Amit Ray, he once wrote, quote, Danger of excessive nationalism is nuclear annihilation. Danger of globalism is the eradication of local values and cultures. Greatness can only be realized in the middle path, end quote. And to some degree, he's right. It's away from the extremes that we can find shared cultural values. But the problem with globalism is that it by necessity eradicates localized values. Imagine a world where everything is the same. We eat the same foods, we shop at the same stores, we consume the same entertainments. And perhaps most worryingly, we're merely allowed to have the same beliefs. Because everything outside of those mainstream cookie-cutter values is deemed corrosive to the international order and sameness that can ultimately only come about through the use of force. It is neither desirable nor noble to limit the human spirit to a postage stamp consensus. It threatens the very existence of the species through our inability to seek new paths or to deal with the problems in a unique manner. But most importantly for me, 
I see the slow demise of literature upon the horizon when publishers look more to a writer's immutable characteristics or the common purpose inherent in the story. When we lose the ability to inspire for the good of the global order, we have to ask ourselves, what will it really mean to be human? Thanks for listening.